Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes With Purple where Giles Brandreth and I just wax lyrical uh, about the English language and learn quite a lot along the way, I have to say. Hi, Giles. Hello, it's wonderful to be with you. I've just learned something which I must share with you immediately. Okay. And I'm going to share it with you before you throw a bucket of cold water over it. Right. It's this, it's about language. Yeah. You know, when we go on tour, you go to digs, you stay in digs. Yes. Yes. And um, uh, people call it a digs list if you have a list of places you go to stay. Mm-hmm. It's a digs list, all right? You know that. You're familiar with that phrase. I do. And, and I you think I've tell... told you the origin of this before. Yes. And what yes. is it? Well, what do you think it is? Well, I think it goes back to the Californian gold rush, uh, well, also that happened in Australia. And it was the diggings around the gold mines. Yeah. Um, And then accommodation was dug up out of the same earth and little uh, shanty towns also uh, grew up. But it was the accommodation that got the the diggings, hence the digs. Well, I can tell you that's not true. (gasps) You're wrong. You're wrong. The world authority, the world's greatest lexicographer, the girl who knows all the answers. Apologise for using the word girl. I've got a note here saying you're not allowed to use that anymore. (laughs) We'll come on to that later when we're talking about woke language. No, I have just been with my friend Peter Bowles, a distinguished British actor. Mm -hmm. Some of you will recall him from uh, so many TV series, particularly to The Manor Born. Uh, Anyway, wonderful actor. And he said to me, you keep saying that digs is based on diggings. It isn't. Okay. And he knows this because he discovered in James Boswell, the friend of uh, Dr. Johnson, yeah. an account of an actor who gave another actor a list of places to stay. Mm-hmm. The actor was called West, W-E-S-T, that was his first name, Diggs, D-I-G-G-S, mm. West Diggs. And he had a list that he kept. He was a touring actor. This is in the period of Dr. Johnson and James Boswell. He had a list that he kept of places to stay. Yeah. And the actor was told, oh, if you're, if you're looking for someone to stay, West Diggs will give you his list. And it then became, it circulated, the Diggs list belonging to the actor West Diggs. That predates your gold rush. So what I want you to do, I'm ri- rise to the challenge. Don't answer it now. Regular listeners will be able, in a one day in a future episode, to hear Susie Dent coming on and either eating humble pie and saying, "Amazingly, I did look that up." And your story that given to you by Peter Bowles about James Boswell and Dr. Johnson and West Diggs is correct. Or 
You will say, oh, Giles, you've fallen for another one. Some old actor's story. So don't answer it now. Okay. That was one of the things I wanted to say to you. I've got oh. so much I want to say to you. But how are you, first of all? Uh, I am, uh, well, I've just been reminded of a word that completely sums me up, actually, on Twitter, which is powfagged or pofagged, depending on where you're from, which is P-O-W, then fagged which means incredibly tired. It's an old dialect word for being a real weary head. Uh, so the po or the pow is a version of poll, as in poll tax or the voting polls. That used to mean a head. And fagged might be a version of flagging, flagged, just meaning weary. So I'm very, very tired. I had an extremely late night. What do you mean by a late night? 11pm would be a late night for me. Um, What's a late night for you? 4am. You're joking. No. All in all in the cause of work, though. What uh, was the work you were doing? Okay, so the work I was doing was recording the comedy version of Countdown called 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown because it's a mashup of a comedy programme called 8 Out of 10 Cats and the programme that I normally work on, Countdown. And we don't finish that. Well, we do two um, a night and we don't finish till midnight and that is up in Manchester. So I came... Oh. From Manchester back home and finally laid down my tired pole at um, yeah, four. So I, I'm a bit tired and probably not very articulate today. I apologise. This leads me to the next question, the next thing I wanted to raise with you. I've been collecting things to share with you because we haven't been together for a whole week and I, I miss you. Uh, I particularly missed you when I was uh, earlier this week on the River Cam. Oh, yeah. I was on the River Cam on a uh, boat with my <gasps> friend. Oh, yes, Sheila it's your series, yes. We're making a television series about travelling on rivers and canals. We were going along the cam, and this very good looking young man, uh, wearing next to nothing, came running out of the Cambridge boathouse, mm -hmm. shouting and waving. My friend Sheila Hancock assumed it was for her. And she said, oh, I like the look of you. And then she realised you couldn't say that sort of thing nowadays. Anyway, waved at this young man who ignored her and came running towards the edge of the water and said, I'm a purple person. Oh. I'm a purple person. Give my love to Susie. Oh, do you know... This happened to me just yesterday as well with a lovely security guard at the studios that we were recording in. And he held the door open for me and I said, oh, thank you very much. And then just as I was, just, I just cleared one flight of stairs, he called after me and he said, you're welcome. That's nothing compared to the enjoyment of your podcast, which I just thought was lovely. Well, so it does mean something, it really means something, actually, because I, uh, I had a lighter step as I, as I, I went say, up to the fifth floor. If you are a podcast, if you are a purple person listening to this, it really, you can tell from the way we're talking, it really does, we do appreciate it. We are so lucky to have this global coverage. Now, did you think this is what you would end up doing? Because this is the third thing I wanted to raise with you. Uh, did you think that it would be what you might call a sexy occupation, doing what you do now? when you were a girl? Is it what you wanted to do? Uh, I don't think it's at all sexy, but that's possibly because Jimmy Carr, who you know, Giles, who is the presenter of Countdown, constantly reminds me that my books are a form of euthanasia and that, <laughs> that essentially I'm the most boring person to listen to in the entire world. That is his, his sing well, it's not his single line of attack. I, his other one is that I am sexually voracious and you would think that the two wouldn't necessarily go together, but he somehow manages to mix those in in the joke that I couldn't possibly repeat here. Um, so did I imagine that it was sexy? Um, no, I, I still don't think it is, but I still love it. Well, 
I'm legitimizing asking you that question because I've come across a survey this week. Okay. 2,000 women were surveyed and asked which profession they considered to be the sexiest in 2021. Don't tell me lexicographer was at the top. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Oh. It it wasn't. It did feature, though, in the top 50. Seriously? In the top 50. Well, okay, I'll take that. Guess what came at the very top? An engineer. A doctor. Uh, okay. 24%. I get that. Doctors get that. came number one. Yeah. Number two mm-hmm. was, with 19% voting for them, bartender. That's three, not so surprising, I suppose. Doctors, yeah, I understand. Number three, yeah. CEO. Number four, with 9%, footballer. Yeah. 8%, firefighter. Then teacher, builder, personal trainer. I was quite boosted by the next one with just 3%, politician. Mm-hmm. Cop, one percent. So that means lexicographer not point not not something percent. Yeah. Yes, it was. I'm afraid it was. Uh, well, are it you was, serious? It was in the top fifty. Yeah, but that was because they pro- they provided a list of 50, 50 occupations, and it did include lexicographer. So I went straight for that. The truth is, you're almost at the bottom, Susie. Yeah, no, uh, no surprise uh, there. Uh, and I'm. I, I was in there. Writer. I called my... Well, you're a writer, oh, yeah. too. Oops, writer sorry. comes a bit higher up. Yes, so I've just fallen off my chair. Yes. <laughs> well, you've told us you're, you're Paul Fagged. So, <laughs> anyway, here we are. Um, this is Something Rhymes With Purple with Susie Dent, who is falling off her chair. <laughs> She's so fatigued. Uh, Giles Brandreth, who's in a state of high excitement. And i tell you what I wanted to discuss today, if you're up for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a daughter-in-law. Have you met my... Have you ever met my children? Have you met my no. children? No. Haven't. My children are really sort of your sort of age now because I have grandchildren as well. My son, Bennett, who is a lawyer and an enthusiast and an authority on Shakespearean rhetoric, Mm -hmm. is married to an actress, or she calls herself an actor, called Kasha Engler. One of the things that she does is she provides the voices for video games. Uh And she does a great deal of this. And she was chatting to me the other day and I realised that I couldn't understand her. Partly it's because she's American and speaks very fast. Um, if people want to know, they could hear her voice. She is the voice of Maybelline, which is a cosmetic. So you can recognize oh, okay. they do a lot of commercials. So that would be her voice. But she's also on a lot of video games. Said oh, to I'd me, love that. More I'm than only two ever and good a... for the small print. Because it's huge. It is vast, this industry. Two Tell and me, a half how... billion people play video games worldwide. Oh, I'm, I'm not one of them. Are you? I mean, I have to say, I probably wouldn't do them if I was on my own. I wouldn't play them if I was on my own. But I will happily play Mario Kart on the Nintendo DS. I'll play um, Super Mario, Mario at the Olympics. So I will very happily play those. Um, We have other games like Roblox on our basically on various devices in the house. But I wouldn't say we spent hours and hours and hours gaming. Um, Fortnite, not yet. I'm kind of quite grateful for that, if you know about the Fortnite phenomenon. But again, that's, you know, incredibly addictive. And it's quite interesting. I was talking to the, we, we talk about him a lot because he's one of my heroes, David Crystal, the linguist, talking about the demonstrably worrying 
gap that's growing in vocabulary between the children who are exposed to a lot of words as they're growing up and those that don't perhaps get sort of immersed in a wide range of vocabulary as they're growing up. And um, David said something really interesting to me as he said, yes, that is true, but you have to remember that the kind of traditional tests of a child's vocabulary will be asking them about the kind of, the sort of standard curriculum-based sets of vocabulary that you will get at school. And he said, if you were to ask a nine or 10-year-old to talk about their favourite video game, their vocabulary, their lexicon would be vast. And that's completely true because that is what they are really interested in. So they may not have a huge language to do with, you know, the the traditional world around them, but when it comes to the world that they are absolutely immersed in and addicted to, they will be able to talk about it for a very, very long time and very articulately, which, which I kind of picked up as the impact of these games on on our psyche. Well, I would like you to take me into this world of language, because it's a world I don't know. I was born with the video game, in the sense, in the 1950s, when I was a little boy, there were early computers with games like Bertie the Brain and Nimrod, Mm. and they were basically versions of tic-tac-toe, Nim, you know, those those old games you used to play with with matches put onto a computer. Uh, And I think the first recognised video game was in the early 1960s, a game called Space War. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was one I know, because I loved the name, Pong! I do remember that. That was in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And that achieved global acclaim. But these is early days of computers. And then we got in, as it all really began to take off, Space Invaders, I do remember. Oh, yes, I remember. Because that was the mid-1970s. My children were coming along then. Asteroids, 1979. And then Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. P-A-C-M-A-N, 1980. That's when my children... Uh, sort of got into it. And then the whole industry collapsed for some reason in the early 80s. And then we had home computers and that began to revive it. And now we've got things I hear about, like Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto, uh, Tetris. I I hear people talking about this. And Fortnite, I know. I was brought up in a totally different world. I know children now are different, you know, and they're playing when they're not taking photographs of their private parts to send to their friends. They are playing these video games and it's an alien world to me. So help me into it. Well, it's, it's a, I think the joy of them is that they offer this almost unparalleled opportunity to escape. It's all about escapism, isn't it? Oh. It's If you're an adrenaline junkie, you can be totally thrilled without the risk. We have um, the other thing that we do have here, which is not quite the same thing, is a, a VR, a virtual reality headset, where you can go on a roller coaster, you can be attacked by dinosaurs, you can jump into a you know burning hotel. And that, you can be thrilled without the risk. But in video games, you know, what, what if I could score a goal like Messi? What if I could fly like Superman? What if I could go and kill 10 people with no consequences, you know, and it's that kind of draw. It's a bit alarming, isn't it? It is, uh, very alarming and lots of studies, obviously. I don't know what the consensus is now, actually, in terms of the impact of these on real life behaviour, but I do know it's incredibly tribal. When I was writing my book about tribal language and the different languages of different communities, it's as tribal a community as you can find. So there are clans who are groups of gamers who play the same competitive game together. There are guilds, uh, they're groups with a kind of objective that they all share. It's interesting. It's it's quite influenced by the film industry as well, because there's quite a lot of, of things going on. But you mentioned all the 
different games that have come about. And there are lots and lots of different generations, if you like, of systems. And the console wars, as they were called, were people who preferred one company to another. So um, the seventh generation, I think, was the longest generation in gaming history. And there was a massive competition between um, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System and the Sega Mega Drive. And apparently the war between the fans of each of those still rages to this day. And some of them are quite funny. So PlayStation 3 owners were called cows because they were willing to be milked by Sony for all the accessories. That was the idea. And then Xbox 360 fans were lemmings because they would blindly follow Microsoft to its death. And Nintendo's followers were called sheep, who could be led down any path. PC owners were called hermits because they'd always stay inside. And uh, and so it goes on. So it is really interesting that, you know, this is a very, in some way, it's a very accessible world, but it's also a very closed shop. You know, once you're in it, you belong, I think, very definitely to one clan. And, uh, you know, I'm not in any of these clans, but I did find the language really interesting. So the companies I've heard of, Nintendo and Sony, these are actually companies, whereas Pokemon and Tetris... They are games. games. Yes. So Pokemon is a short for Pocket Monsters. And Pokemon Go is sort of quite a big thing where you can actually go out and um, find Pokemon avatars on different sort of locations, in different locations. What's an avatar? So an avatar, it's your visual representation, if you like. And it's a really interesting word because it comes from the Sanskrit for the incarnation of a deity, of a god when they descend to earth. So it's got a really sacred history, but in a game, it is, you know, you can create who you are, who you want to be. And that too is a little bit like, I guess, the filters on Snapchat and Instagram and things. You can make yourself be the person you want to be. And that itself is quite seductive and immersive, I think. Um, so Nintendo, some people think it translates as leave luck to heaven, but that is anecdotal, possibly apocryphal. No one quite knows where that comes from. Um Sony apparently is a mix of sonus, meaning sound, and sunny, as in young lad, which the founders of Sony considered themselves to be at the time. Uh, Sega goes back to service games and so on. Pac-Man's got quite a nice history as well because it was originally called Pac-Man from the Japanese word paku, meaning to chomp, because a Pac-Man goes around eating lots of dots and they turn into ghosts. I can picture picture the Pac-Man character. Yeah, Exactly. But of course, Pac-Man or Puckman, as it was originally called, lends itself quite easily to uh, the change of one letter, which would have made it quite rude. It would have become Fuckman, essentially. And so they decided to change it to Pac-Man instead. And then I mentioned Mario and Super Mario. Apparently Yoshi, who I sometimes am, if I choose him, uh, the little green dinosaur, that means good luck in Japanese. Uh, which I didn't know. And Lawrence, our brilliant uh, producer, told me that one. But you, um, say, you say you are sometimes these characters. You have played some of these games, have you? Yeah, so I, I, I really like Super Mario and that kind of thing. But honestly, I'm, my reflexes are so slow, whereas I think the gamers today are absolutely incredible in, in how they instinctively can go into a new world and know exactly what to do. So but I'm I'll, a generation too late for this. This is probably why we want younger people flying airplanes for us. Well, I guess that's true. We want neural pathways that are flexible and things zooming along them. Yeah. We're talking about this partly at the instigation, I think, of a, an avid esports fan, Jason Tyrant. 
great name, mm. wrote to us from Johannesburg in South Africa, wanting to talk about the tribal world. Yeah. This coincides, though, with, I think, the Minecraft World Championships. Uh, Minecraft is huge. And that's that- really good as well, because that's there's a lot of engineering in there where you can you build things brick by brick you have to build these things so it actually des- teaches patients can you design them yourself yes and you, make you it- totally can what i quite like as well i just spoke about the um criticisms of the violence within games but there's a distinct kind of morality in gaming as well because if you are a bitter player who doesn't like losing you're called salty but um, the sportsmanship of the world is, you can see it in phrases like no Johns and no Johns, I don't know why, means no excuses. In other words, I'm not going to blame the defeat on anything else. This is just my fault. And then, you know, you can type GG for good game at the end of a match, which is like the digital handshake. And if you don't GG an opponent, that's a bit of an insult. It's kind of cocking your nose at your opponent. So I, I quite like that. There is there is a kind of tribal etiquette, if you like, with in them and that involves the lingo as well if you know the lingo that is a sort of mark of respect and they're really intense about their language so famously there's a word which is pronounced like own but it's spelt p-w-n and it's used in the same sense as own so to own an, an opponent p-w-n an opponent is to completely dominate them in online play and apparently it was a typo for own in a game called Warcraft but some gamers will tell you it comes from porn in the early days P-A-W-N in the early days of the internet when chess was played over message boards but even this will spark this sort of intense conversation and I love that because there's a real sense of caring amongst the gaming community and um, there's so I mean so much language that you will find from salty runbacks to fragging to respawning to spacing. Explain a bit of that, fragging. What's fragging? Fragging actually, um, I think, comes from the military. So it's um, slang for a kill in early shooting games. Um, So I think you'll find that still in use amongst older players, but I know it's still used in the military as well. To respawn, you want your character to respawn if if it's died. It's just basically coming back to life. And the defeated player goes back to a specific location, which is called the spawn point. There is a salty run back. And I mentioned salty. If you're a bit bitter and a bad loser, you're called salty. And a salty run back is a rematch because the defeated player is so bitter about their loss that they want to have another go. A boss is a special class of enemy that's kind of stronger or more important. They're the big bad leaders of all the bad guys. There's a nerf, which is a character that loses strength in a game. A buff is someone with increased strength. Um, have you ever played Super Mario, Giles? I think you'd like it. The mushrooms not, are buffs in Super Mario. I've not played any of these. Okay. I've stood in a corner of the room observing my children playing them. And more recently, I've seen my grandchildren fiddling with things like Fortnite, which I think is for younger ones. And, oh, I think it's and, for older ones probably. Oh, is it? Well, oh, is it? it's quite violent. Oh, you see, I think probably one of the younger ones said, oh, you needn't worry, Grandpa, it's for young kids, this. You see, I know it's a language I don't understand, but what you're reassuring me is our mutual friend David Crystal, who really does understand about language, is yeah. telling you that this hasn't diminished the vocabularies of young people, it's actually expanded them. They still can use all the words that they would have learned anyway at school, the normal words, but they now have got these extra vocabularies on top. 
Is that yeah, what you're I mean, doing? I think the internet has certainly expanded vocabulary. So that a lot of people have worried that it will mean that English descends into this kind of bland, homogenized language where everybody uses the same simplistic terms. That's definitely not happened. So you can go on the internet and find someone from your tribe, from your group, with your own lexicon, and you can chat away, which is brilliant. Not sure completely that you could say that kids all still know the the vocabulary from school because I think there is a legitimate worry in lots of studies done by great people like Oxford University Press showing that there is a widening gap between kids, as I say, who, who are immersed in that kind of vocabulary. I mean, there was a big debate about the vocabulary of nature, for example, and how that's oh, falling yes. out of use. Yeah. But I think what David was saying is that Sometimes if you just shift the focus, you will find that these kids do have a vocabulary. It's just not the traditional one that's been tested. Can you give me a couple of fun words to take away from this conversation? I, before we began talking, knowing we're going to talk about this today, typed into my computer, video games, glossary. Oh, yes. And hundreds of pages appeared. The letter A had mm. literally about eight pages of words none of which made any sense to me at all. I thought, oh, my goodness. So do you have some favourites that you think could move from the world of video games into general usage? um, I quite quite like, it's a bit mean, this speed bump. And a speed bump is someone who's easily defeated. So you might say, oh, don't worry about him. He's just a speed bump. In other words, he's not, you just have to stop, go a bit slowly and then you'll be on your way. Um, Another one I quite like, because this this has become such a pejorative term, snowflake. Um, yes. You know that that it's been used as a real um, weapon against people who are apparently lefty, liberal, woke, whatever you like to call them. Often levelled at the poor, maligned millennials, which is a, another term that's kind of become a bit of a term of abuse, isn't it? Really, but I like the fact that in gaming, a snowflake is a character whose abilities are really rare and as unique as oh. a snowflake, because you know all snowflakes are unique. So it might be the one good person in a very evil race in a game. So I like the fact that it's retained that original mm-hmm. sense of something good and pure and precious and unique rather than sort of being dragged down and becoming, oh, you're such a snowflake. Incidentally, we I always read the reviews, as do you, of our podcast. And we had a hilarious one the other day. Um, they told us off for being too woke. That was the first thing. And then, and then they said, uh, Susie, you are not French. Please, can you drop that ridiculous, fake, heavy accent um, and move on? And then it said, otherwise, very well researched. Uh, <laughs> it kind of made me laugh. So if that we ever do funny. a programme on French, I'm just going to speak, I'm going to drop my your accent is impeccable. We both do our best to speak proper <laughs> French when we're trying it, and you speak excellent German. Look, if you've got anything you want to say to us, do please get in touch. It's it's purple at somethingelse.com, and that's something without a G. And in fact, after the break, I think we've got quite a few letters that we need to go through. Oh, yeah, let's do that. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple, where we've been talking about the language of gaming, something that Giles and I are not, I would say, particularly okay with, but personally, I find it absolutely fascinating and quite reassuring that it is so thick in, you know, neologisms, coinages or resurrections of old words that actually really mean a lot in that community and that it is so tightly knit. I'm intrigued that you dare to use the phrase au fait. Au fait. Uh, because it's au a French fait. phrase, it is isn't French. it? Au fait. What does it mean? I'm going to means... say au fait now. And then what does, that, it, what does it mean? A-U, new word, F-A-I-T. What does it, it mean? It means uh, with the fact, I think. It means with, that you've, you've, grasped, you've grasped the facts. So un fait is a fact. So if you don't like Susie's French accent, how right you are. Uh, She's not even French. How dare she? We've had had lots of letters and we've had two emails recently from purple people bamboozled by a certain word. First up is John Jenkins from, well, Down Under. Hi, Susie and Giles. Can you help me with the origins of the word bamboozle? Anything I can find is fairly vague and the origin seems to be uncertain or unknown. The word came up in a crossword group that I facilitate for blind and vision-impaired people. Because we're in lockdown here in Victoria, and that is likely to be extended, I can't get to any library, so I'm hoping you can help. And I told the group yesterday that I would make every effort to find the origin of bamboozle. Many thanks, John Jenkins. Yes, you know in Australia, I think they have this sort of Fortress Australia policy, and um, it's been marvellous at keeping the pandemic down there. But Mm. of course, the day will come when they have to open the doors and who knows what will happen. And clearly Mm. things are not good in Victoria. But anyway, can you help him with his... I can. Well, it's it's kind of fittingly elusive, the origin of bamboozles, you know, for a word that means to be confounded and mystified or deceived. And it appeared really suddenly in print in around 1700 or the early 1700s. And it was mentioned in an article in the Tatler magazine, which is a British society magazine. And this article was written by Jonathan Swift of Mm. Gulliver's Travels, no less. And he, as he often did, was decrying the, what he called, continual corruption of our English tongue. So he didn't like bamboozle and he didn't like other words like banter, sham, mob, bully, bubble, because he considered them to be just fashionable concoctions of the time and were never going to last and were just degrading to the language. Um, But it did last, despite Swift's efforts to kind of, you know, erase the word. Several theories... Um, you will find put forward. So there's a Scottish word, bumbays, or Scots word, bumbays, which has a similar meaning, and that might be based on a Dutch word. There are uh, links, it is said, with the Roma community, so with the Romany language. But there's a fascinating suggestion that it goes back to a really old French word. Here you go, en babouine. En babouine means to make a baboon of somebody. Now, there's no connection that we can find that really strongly links bamboozle with any of those particular theories but it's quite hard to resist that you know the idea of bamboozling somebody is is making a monkey out of them well 
listen to this from Phil and Ruth Martin. They've emailed to say that they were at the Lost Gardens of Heligan this morning mm -hmm. and spotted loads of bamboo. It led us to wonder whether there's a link between bamboo ah. and the word bamboozle. What I do you think of that? Mm, yeah, I think any resemblance is probably entirely coincidental because bamboo, which is from a family called bambooza, is possibly from Portuguese or Malay, I think. So not an English like uh, an English word, whereas bamboozle is either Scots or, or English from the start. So I think unlikely, but intriguing suggestion. You see, we can't always give a definitive answer. Another no. email from Australia has come. Uh, this time it's from Alison Smith in sunny northern New South Wales. Hi, Susie and Giles and all the crew that bring perps to life. I've been doing perps. some Search on the pronunciation of often. Oh, yeah. Or often, after being pulled up on my misdemeanor of emphasizing the T. Mm. I did, however, notice that Giles pronounced the T during the Swalk episode that was sealed with a loving kiss. Yeah. So I would say often. I do pronounce the T. Often. What is I, correct, I you think? Often, often. To be honest, this research has left me more baffled than ever, hmm. as there seems to be a lot of conjecture. Can you let me know what is correct? That's, Alison wants okay. to know whether it should be often or often. What do you think is correct? Um, I'm afraid I can't give you a correct answer because we have been arguing this for absolutely centuries. Oh. So, um, first of all, oft is what it was really until the 16th century. So we talked about oft or oftentimes, uh, for example, oftentimes. And so of, often or often was used less commonly. And in the sort of pronunciation guides, I suppose, of the 16th and 17th centuries, give a pronunciation with that middle T, the medial T, if you like, being pronounced. But others recorded a pronunciation without it. And um, even though Elizabeth I actually used uh, the T, it then became wrong to, or not wrong, but, but apparently sort of impolite or a bit uncouth to put the T in the middle. So it was avoided by careful speakers in the 16th and 17th century. So you can see we have gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And today, the pronunciation with this T is often seen as what we call hypercorrection. So somebody trying too hard to sound formal, much as you might say, um, he gave the letter to Giles and myself which, of course, myself, it should be just he gave the letter to Giles and me. But because Giles and me sounds quite slangy and informal, people put myself in as a kind of form of hypercorrection. So the answer, I'm so sorry to say, is that we have been going back and forth on this for a very long time. And really, you can use either. Or either. All right. Ah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let me take another word, soft and soften. Yes. That's oft and often. Maybe yes. it should be without pronouncing the T. I've always said, because I, I say soft, but I don't say soften. No. I say soften. I want to soften the hurt to you. Um, how interesting. Mm. I would have said often, but maybe I was... I, don't I think want you to be... might switch it depending on what, what um, syllables you have in your sentence and, and um, whether you're using consonants and vowels and things. I think and it the, might be interchangeable. The truth is, language is about communication, isn't it? And yeah. clarity of communication. And if it's more helpful to pronounce it and not to pronounce it, pronounce it. And if it isn't, it isn't. I agree. Okay, here we are. Oh, my, Risa Korchuk has been in touch. What a great name, yeah, Korchuk. K-A-W-C-H-U-C-K. Hi, Susie and Giles. What is the origin of drag, as in drag queen? 
My son came home from school today saying some people think it was an acronym from Shakespeare's time, mm. standing for Dressed Resembling a Girl. Mm. But we both doubted that explanation. Love the podcast. Risa rhymes with Lisa and Gareth in Calgary, Canada. We love Canada. We love your name, Risa. And I think we should do a whole episode all about the world, the drag scene. Chance for me to get out my slingbacks and mm. put on a fancy frock. So what is the what is the origin of drag? Well, that is the traditional theory that it comes from the stage direction, because until I think it was Charles II decreed that women could actually perform on stage, all female roles obviously were played by men. Um, what the Oxford English Dictionary will tell you is that it probably refers simply to long dresses or petticoats dragging across the floor. So that seems to be mo more likely. I think there isn't solid evidence that it comes from dressed as a girl or dressed resembling a girl. But I agree with you. Let's do something. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. What a film. Let's, what a film. Yeah. yeah. Look, if you've got a wordy question of any kind or just want to get in touch from, you know, we've had Canada, Australia. Everyone's been in touch. We even got a... Um, an email the other day from Ponder's End. Anyway, wherever you are, please do communicate. It's purple at somethingelse.com. Susie, time for your trio. If you're up for it, thank you for staying awake, actually, during this podcast. Under the I enjoyed it. It's woken me up. Um, well, I don't know about you, Giles, but we have been welcoming the sunshine back to parts of Britain, but it's not universal. So I know that my father down in the southwest is enjoying an absolutely swallowing day, as in really sweltering and beautiful. Uh, whereas here it is actually quite cloudy, but it has at least replaced the rain. May for us in Britain was absolutely characterised by rain. And I think Florida is probably quite similar because I tweeted a word that I love from English dialect for when it's bucketing down, coming down in stair rods, and that's plothering. It's mm. really plothering out there, um, which Good actually word. goes back to a dialect word for mud. But I like that one. So that's my first. The second, not normally associated with sunshine, but possibly with um, raining cats and dogs, woofits. Uh, woofits mm. are an unwell feeling or a slight sort of moody depression. Oh, we've got a slight touch of the woofits. Yes, I all like woofits, you could say. And is it woo from woe, feeling a bit sad? A fit, you know, fit, of, fit of woe? It could well be. So many of these brilliant terms. If you remember, there's the marble fubbles as well from centuries ago, and there's feeling frobbly mobbly as well. <laughs> they all sound so friendly, but actually they describe a real sort of onset of melancholy. Um, so I'm not sure of the origin of that one. Like so many dialect words, it's quite hard to find out. Um so that's my second. And the third one is just, you know, English does insults so well. This one just came to mind quite recently. Not looking at you, Giles, I promise. A princock. And a princock is a conceited fool. Oh, yes. what a princock is he. That sounds like a does word sound from the... Doesn't it? Well, oh, do you think it does? I was going to say a bit later. Oh, um, do you know, I don't know, word. I can look it up while oh, you Oh, what your a princock. I'm going to say it's 1670s. Look it up. Well, 1540. Not far Fif off. 1640? 1540. Oh, I'm way off. Oh, you I were right, century. it was Shakespearean. That's, that's Shakespearean time. What are Shakespeare's dates? Uh, oh, good grief. I don't know. You, you give me Shakespeare's dates because I'm bad 1564 to 1616. Okay, I mean, cool. it's fundamental. And he does, he does mention a print Cox in um, Romeo and Juliet. I know that. Oh, well done. Don't Game, go. set and match, as <laughs> ever, to the brilliant Susie Dent. She is wonderful. And I love all those words. I particularly like woofits. The, woofits. the French for woofits would be, I suppose, ennui. Is that a word you'd yeah. like to say to us? 
Say the word Henri. Just Should I say it in a really note or I say Henri? <laughs> no, it's Henri. And she says it beautifully. Your French accent, Henri. frankly, is delightful. And <laughs> un peu sexy. Even if lexicographers are not the sexy profession, when you uh. speak French, it is. <laughs> okay, I've got a poem for you. It's a change of mood co- completely. Somebody, Martin Hesford, uh, who is a scriptwriter, and I was praising a film that he wrote that I saw about the artist Ellis Lowry. And the film's okay. called Mrs. Lowry and Son. Mm-hmm. And I saw it, and it starred Vanessa Redgrave and Timothy Spall, and I thought it was wonderful. And I think... I'd seen his work earlier. He wrote a a TV show called Fantabulosa, which was a celebration of Kenneth Williams that starred Michael Sheen. Anyway, I've I've praised this man's work. And he very generously sent me a copy of his poems, just published. It's his first collection of poems. It's called Lilac White. And here is a short poem from it. I need to run sometimes. Rip the sky open. Taste the fear. I need to jump. I need to fall. Laugh. Cut myself. Love myself. Close my eyes. See the silver world. Eat the lilac flower. And breathe. I love that. I'm going to ask you for a copy of that. Absolutely love that. Very beautiful. They are marvellous poems, and he just takes a handful of words, and the way he lays them out on the page, it is fantastic. Yes. So, what a treat. What a nice, interesting episode. I've been outside my comfort zone in the world of video Well, I think games. we both were, but it's just, it's nice to have a glimpse, and then, as always, invite the purple people to tell us, you know, that the ones, uh, and there's so many who are far more knowledgeable than us in so many of these areas, to, to share their words and their stories from these particular areas. So, please do get in touch, as Giles said, at purple at something else.com, and as always, Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Harriet Wells, Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, and, well, no Princock he. No, more of a speed bump. Golly. 